Hello and welcome to uh, the Mike Figures podcast. I'm again joined by my friend Ali Agala and today, what are we going to talk about Ali? Well, I was thinking since you've been going to Korea a lot recently and, and talking to a lot about sort of Korean drama, that you could sort of maybe talk about K-drama a little bit. I went on my first trip to, to South Korea, I think three years ago, and it was... Um, I have to be honest, it was as the result of not of watching Korean cinema, but actually watching K-drama on Netflix. And my partner is a Mandarin-speaking Chinese, and I was looking for Mandarin dramas. And we watched a couple, and, and one night I was looking through Asian possibilities, mm-hmm. and I came across a, my first K-drama. And I watched, I do a thing where I kind of watch the beginning and then I quickly jump to say episode six or something mm-hmm. and randomly go to the middle and just see how have they um, solidified their drama or whatever and I've this, I, well, this looks quite good so mm-hmm. we watched it together it was called Something in the Rain the same actress that is in another drama called Crash Landing on You I think which was very successful okay about a, a very rich woman from South Korea who goes hang gliding and lands in North Korea and <laughs> falls in love with the North Korean soldier and it becomes a k-drama and they take their time with these dramas but it kind of got me hooked and i started watching then a whole series of them i I became quickly good at discerning yeah um, because there are definitely very good k-dramas and then there are actually pretty crappy k-dramas that are just like any old soap opera really sure and over the years, I've watched a lot. And I give them all, like, my test, you know, mm-hmm. the first five minutes and then episode five, and just to see if there's anything happening. And I found, you know, like, five or six really outstanding mm-hmm. dramas that okay. are better than anything I've seen on the BBC or American television or whatever. But long story short, that that prompted my curiosity to literally do something I've never done before, mm-hmm. which is I, I bought a ticket, a return wow. ticket okay. to, to Seoul. I booked a hotel. I used um, the few contacts I had. Yeah. I teach sometimes in a philosophy college in Switzerland. Yes. It's called European Graduate School. Yeah. Some of my fellow professors and students there were, were South, either South, South Korean Korea. or they were teaching in Korea. And so... They were my contacts, and they put me in touch with Yonsei University and a couple of people there. Mm-hmm. My friend Darcy Paquette, who's a, a you know, quite well-known translator of Korean into English for films. Mm-hmm. And I just turned up and started talking to people, started meeting um, management companies to meet actors. Great. Just to try and get a sense of, would it be possible to make a film in in South Korea. My plan from the very beginning was not to make an English-speaking film, but to make a film in Korean. Yeah. Of course, I don't speak Korean, but I kind of felt that in my naivety, well, maybe not naivety, that that's not so much of a problem, that my curiosity basically got, got me on the plane, got me started, and mm-hmm. uh, and that, that really cemented my, to this day, ongoing relationship with Korean television, K-drama, as it's known. Mm-hmm. I mean, interestingly, in that time, Korean culture has gone through the roof, right? Yeah. If I may ask, what's sort of the production quality for uh, K-drama? Here's the thing. The, South Korea has been very influenced by, by many different factors, one of whom, of course, has to be American culture. Mm-hmm. 
ever since the end of the Civil War, which is officially not over yet, the presence of a very large um, American population in South Korea to this day has meant a certain unavoidable Americanization of the culture, yeah. more so than, let's say, other Asian countries. Mm-hmm. So they've adopted, let's say, the kind of the techniques of, say, friends, where you have a couple of locations, yeah. usually sets, yeah. you know, the apartment, the office, whatever. And then you have their big taste for period dramas, uh, yes. very fantastical. Uh, where they spend a lot more money, mm-hmm. and so the, the I would say the budget range is is quite extreme. If I go back to the the one I first fell in love with, something in the rain, mm-hmm. I now recognize this to be a trope. You know, so one mm-hmm. of the main the main themes in Korean K drama is uh, their their romantic comedies or their romances. Mm-hmm. They're really pretty much all about relationships, and that could Im- that's relationships within the family. Mm-hmm which is very extreme and very Korean, very cruel sometimes. There's always flashbacks of abused children. It's in their films too, actually. Yeah. They have that a lot. Anyway, yeah, yeah. There'd be, and there's always a child that's crying, that's been abandoned on the street, that's yeah. been watched the mother being viciously beaten by their drunken father. I've always been fascinated by soap operas. Like, yeah. This goes back to when I f- was working in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. I would turn up and I'd have jet lag for like three or four days yeah and so I'd, I'd find myself at four in the morning going oh, I can't get to sleep and I would you know literally I would just turn on the tv it was cable there'd be 500 channels whatever and you just kind of click through yeah and I'd always end up watching Mexican soap operas telenovelas yeah, yeah. um just because I loved the theatricality of them and and the fact they were so dramatic and yeah. People were always either being killed or crying, and the, and the mother seemed to be a central theme of all of them. They always loved their mothers. Mm-hmm. And I would watch a couple of episodes, and I'd also watch something like General... What was the hospital? General Hospital. General Hospital. Yep. And then I'd kind of lose my jet lag. Sure. Um, and I'd get on with... I'd sleep, you know. <laughs> so the next time I would come, I'd have the jet lag, and I would then go back to the same soap operas, <laughs> but like 20 episodes later. Yeah. And I was going, oh, my God. That, but I thought, oh, he's, I see. He's been replaced. Mm-hmm. He had a terrible accident and um, got facial burns but had plastic surgery. And actually, they've got a new actor, mm. you know. Or this person's now gay that was straight before, the, you know. Mm-hmm. And I love the language that is used in soap operas and mm-hmm. Australian soap operas. And, and I always came to the conclusion that, you could learn so much about a culture by watching a soap opera. That's actually something I wanted to say because, you know, in the UK you've got, they're not quite soap operas, but you have Coronation Street, EastEnders. Mm-hmm. You know, they're huge TV shows that are sort of sold globally. I mean, my mother watches EastEnders mm-hmm. in Turkey. The most you can learn about a culture from its TV is to watch the soap opera and then to watch a kind of intellectual, pretentious program yeah. where usually middle-aged men in a certain kind of sweater, um, discuss art. And I think you combine that with the soap opera, you get a sort of a interesting snapshot of the culture. Mm-hmm. And just as a starter, you get a, you get a smell of the culture, I think, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. So I was getting this from Korea, and I kind of... And I have to say that having been there four or five times now... Mm-hmm. I think they're pretty accurate, the mm. K-dramas. Yeah. You know? um, 
and and I find that now writing my own K-drama, mm-hmm. you know, I do draw on the tropes of K-drama because mm-hmm. that the audience recognize those. And, you know, and, you know, when I did the 36 dramatic situations, yeah. this kind of rivalry within the family, conflicts with power, loss of a loved one, you mm-hmm. know, the finding a loved one again, you know, this is all, this is the DNA of, of yeah. K-drama. Yeah. What, if I may ask, what is, without giving too many spoilers, what is the K-drama going to be about? Well, the more time I spent in South Korea, uh, and the more I watched these K-dramas, and I have to say, I, I really like them, but the thing that really shocks me about K-dramas is the violence in them. Okay. The misogynistic violence. Okay. In a K-drama, you will have an extent, and on, you know, on Netflix, let's say you watch Squid Games, or yeah, you watch uh, Hellbound, I think, was the one that came afterwards. I haven't watched that yet, but yeah. Well, in Hellbound, there's, a, there's an extended sequence of a woman and her mother who's dying of cancer mm-hmm. sort of being beaten to death with, with baseball bats in a car park. That's and it goes on and on. Women get a good kicking. I mean, in a way that, you know, they'll get punched in the face and then, then, then they'll be kicked. That's awful. At the same time, you never see anything sexual. Mm. You never see um, any nudity. You never see... There's a kind of hardcore Calvinistic Mm. prudishness you know Um, not in the mainstream films of course if you look at The Handmaiden or you know uh, any of those movies they're pretty explicit to the point actually being overtly uh, you know I think so but this violence which is part of the culture towards women is something that kind of began to appall me yes uh, also the acceptance of it. And then I started being interesting in the actors and the actresses, because the actresses are amazing. Mm-hmm. The actors are good, but the actresses are phenomenal, mm-hmm. you know. And there's something about this kind of female culture in South Korea that, to me, is fascinating. It's, like, very powerful mm-hmm. in the way that, let's say, female flamenco is very powerful in Spain. So I started to kind of look at that and research a lot more about this this phenomenon and then I became aware of the suicides and all the kind of young females who are committing suicide because of abuse within the culture. I mean, and not just abuse from, let's say, the Me Too type abuse, which exists. There is a phenomenon in South Korea called the netizens. Now, do you know what a netizen I is? I don't, no. It's a good word. It means a citizen of the internet. Okay. These are in these netizens feel that they can say what they like online. Sure. Would they qualify as trolls or they are trolls times ten, you know. Yeah. So they will combine and pick on on a on a perform um, usually a young woman or whatever. They decide that whatever and they will hound them to the point of suicide, you know, so you get wonderful performance like Sully or Guhara both committed suicide, and one of them, Sully, who was just the most vibrant young woman, didn't wear a bra, and she, I think, posted a photograph of herself on. I mean, she was wearing clothes. She mm, just mm. chose. She said, "I don't want to wear a bra," and I think she actually gave a good reason, saying it's uncomfortable and mm-hmm. I don't feel good wearing it. 
she was trolled to the extent of actually committing suicide. Right. Um, so I became more and more interested within the culture of this kind of this phenomenon, this gender war, if mm -hmm. you like, which exists in all our cultures, right? Yeah. But I found it particularly interesting in the Korean culture. And so um, the thing I'm working on is called Shame. Mm -hmm. And it's three stories about three separate situations. One is called Good Husband, one's called Good Wife, and one's called Bad Girl. Mm -hmm. um, about examples of... And I try to make it as we're not sort of black and white, mm -hmm. but within any any situation, there's more than one point of view. So I tried to give a kind of slightly nuanced point of view of these situations, mm -hmm. um, sort of post-Me Too, basically, yeah. but specific to the Korean culture, because also the Korean culture is so economically based. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's very rich. Yeah. And uh, their rise to economic power has been very fast. When the president was getting impeached, I actually remember reading about their history, and mm -hmm. I didn't really know a lot about it. And it's sort of, obviously, I knew that it was a poor country until about the 50s, and I knew about the Korean War, but mm -hmm. it kind of shocked me how fast it developed. And it also kind of shocked me because I hadn't realized that it, it was actually a very young democracy. And interestingly, the film business is the same age. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. of course, during the repressive time, filmmakers had to resort to all kinds of, like tricks to make their films because so they couldn't come out and say what they wanted to say yeah. once they got the green light then you suddenly get this explosion of talent yeah and the problem for me is that that explosion of talent when it's coupled to the economic growth of a, of a culture yeah. is inevitably going to get tainted yes. you know going back to i think we said in another podcast which was you know it's the film business yes and in korea it is a business mm -hmm. You look at BTS, they're responsible for a large part of the economy now. The showpiece for an industry, which is the management company, yeah, and that is tied to the economy. So it's, it's called K-pop, right? Their music? Sure. So, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, K-pop, K-drama, K-everything now, you know. Yeah. And now K-art, you know. Yeah. And the uh, NFT situation there is they were ahead of the game, you know. The post-war history of Korea is fascinating because after the war... Korea was on its knees, South Korea, yeah. economically totally ruined and also physically ruined because mm. the you know, pictures of Seoul, there was nothing left, you know, it was yeah. a very bloody conflict. There were a couple of attempts at government which failed. The, the government that finally came to power and ruled with absolute authority, you know, in this, in this next period for quite a long time, and in fact... What's his name? Park. He's, he's also the father of... Of the impeached president. Of the yeah. impeached president. Yeah. During his reign, you know, now he was educated in Japan. Mm. And he made a conscious decision not to go to the Americans for help, mm -hmm. but to go to the Japanese. Okay. The Japanese, you know, and the, and the Koreans have this very fragile relationship uh, which is exacerbated because first of all they were colonized by the Japanese I was going to say yeah then there's the, the whole history of the comfort women which were the yeah. enforced prostitution of Korean women and other other ethnic groups yeah. by the Japanese um, <clears throat> and then in the period after the war Japan 
was down. Mm-hmm. Korea was technically speaking on the up. Mm-hmm. And so Park went to the Japanese and said, okay, I want from you guys, I want your technology. Mm-hmm. And he assembled a government around him that were all Japanese educated. So that had strong associations with Japan and their Japanese know-how. Mm-hmm. So they imported all the technology mm-hmm. and they created what's called the Chibols. The Chibols, which are the, yes. the, you know, I think the five dominant families, the Samsung, Family companies, the Lotties and so yes. on. Who now... Samsung is one of them. I yeah, yeah, yeah. Who are the royalty of, of present-day South Korea and yes. who run the country. Yeah. And ironically, despite the kind of antagonism towards Japan, it's closely affiliated with Japanese education connections mm-hmm. and then Japanese technological know-how because the Japanese were way ahead of the game you know, oh, yeah. by yeah. the end of the war. Um, and that also then, then forms the basis for a lot of K-dramas uh-huh. you know, and, and the psychology of, of the Koreans um, now mm-hmm. with with this incredibly complicated historical past. Mm-hmm. Um, and now their antagonism also towards the Chinese, you know. Yeah. Because the Chinese recently dared to suggest that they had invented kimchi, that kimchi was actually Chinese. That did not go down well with the, with the uh, South Koreans. I mean, that would be like a Greek person saying they invited a Turkish food, you know, so... Mm. Turkish delight. I can delight. understand, exactly. <laughs> I can understand their reaction. Yeah. Uh, to the extent that my friend Darcy Parquet, who's also an actor, was mm. recently in, um, a, you know, I think a $40 million production, talking oh, about budget. Right, okay. Period drama, a sort of, you know, vampire thing. Okay. Set like in the 1600s or something. It um, took place on the Korean-Chinese border. And they showed two episodes and going back to my comment about the netizens yes the netizens picked up on the fact that they were some of the food they were eating in a in a banquet looked chinese and that also some of the costumes they were wearing looked like they were more influenced by chinese it took place on the chinese border yeah in the 1600s and uh, a week later it was cancelled because of the because of that because think? of the netizens and yeah. they they dumped Basically, the, the whole budget, nothing has been screened since. And the actors had to go on television and apologize for being in the drama in the first place. So apology, public apology and humiliation is a, is a key trope element in K-drama. Well, it's interesting you should mention that because in real life, the impeached president had to apologize publicly, mm-hmm. if you remember, for, for associating with... Um, the leader of the alleged cult mm-hmm. with who, under whose influence she had fallen. Mm-hmm. So, The truth is that as the more research I did, you know, the cliche was you couldn't write shit like this, yeah. you know, that actually there was more soap opera drama in actually in real life than there is in K-drama. Absolutely. Because, you know, when you looked into the connections between Mr. Park, his daughter, mm-hmm. the shaman, who is the father of the woman that she was under the influence of. That's right, that's uh, right, yeah. You know, and then all the cheating that went on, getting your children into a university by faking a diploma. Yeah. Um, you know, the, uh, the obsessive need for um, success, often based on a partial education in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, so I go to my next favorite K-drama, mm-hmm. which is called Sky Castle. 
Amazing titles, by the way, yeah. I have to mention. So Sky Castle is pure genius, and okay. it's about a group of over-entitled people who live in a special community, almost like a walled community outside of Seoul, okay. who are all obsessed with the idea that their children go to the best medical university in South Korea, okay. to, to which extent they're prepared to kill. Okay. Uh, there's a huge ensemble cast, and it, it is beyond brilliant. Okay. I mean... It has kind of similarities to the one that Nicole Kidman did, you know, that's set in California. That, uh, Big yeah. Little Lies? Yeah. Yeah. But it's infinitely better. And okay. it's very funny. Okay. It's, it's so darkly humorous. If I was to recommend one as a, as a starter, I'd say watch Sky Castle. To what, may I ask, does the Sky Castle refer to? It's the community. It's the community. It's okay. called Sky Castle, yeah. Good name. Um, okay. The fact that you're even allowed, that you find yourself living in Sky Castle is yeah. something you should... You know, praise the Lord for, you know. <laughs> They're all religious, of course. Okay. Religion is a big deal in Korea. I was going to ask, okay. So all so of the... Christianity Christ or...? Christianity, but based on American missionaries. Right. Who all founded, you know. That's that's a huge, big deal. And that that is a wonderful, epic drama. And it's kind of flawless in a way. And it mm. contains all kinds of sub-dark, quite sensual plots. A lot of... Uh, romance mm -hmm. but very dark because crossing lines of culture etc mm. the poor versus the rich illegitimate children mm -hmm. you know and as i say the ability to murder in order to get your daughter into a university mm -hmm. um quite brilliant how long how long are episodes is it like 60 minutes or are they longer or <laughs> it's like that peter cook joke about uh being abducted, to, you know, by aliens, uh -huh. and then he's being interviewed, and and he's, he says he was abducted to the planet IKEA. <laughs> and somebody says, "How long were you there?" And he said, "IKEA years or Earth years." <laughs> and K dramas a little bit. So I okay. think they're about forty-five minutes to an hour. You know? Okay, that's yeah. easy to digest. And the, the the makeup, the DNA of a typical drama would right. be the first five minutes is a recap. Of the last five minutes, sure. which allows you to kind of go and pee and do sure, whatever sure. you want, or just fast forward. Um, the inevitable flashback to the tear-strained um, child who's been abandoned after mm. watching some awful, awful thing mm -hmm. that haunts them for the rest of their life. Um, and then, the, for me, the only boring part is the obsession with dysfunctional family, where there's there's the brother who doesn't get a job mm -hmm. or, and. And drinking. So let's talk about drinking. Leaving Las Vegas was a huge hit in South Korea, which I found you know, very charming, mm -hmm. till I realized I think they think it's a documentary. <laughs> <laughs> because they drink yeah. soju like it's... I personally have soju and that yeah, is... I love it. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of, I got addicted to it. It's because it's, stuff. You go and you eat and you're cooking your own mm -hmm. food and... And you're giving each other food and these little glasses. Quite which, strong, though. Apparently so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And usually by the end of the evening, yeah. you're either doing karaoke or behaving really badly yes. on the streets. And you see people carrying each other home all the time. Yeah. Like businessmen carrying another businessman, women carrying another woman, you know. It feels quite safe on the streets because uh, everyone's drunk. I don't know, you know. Um <laughs> But the drinking mm -hmm. within K-drama is like, it's an essential trope because within 
a soju evening, mm-hmm. you get to a point of such inebriation that you suddenly blurt out the I love you. Yes. And they go, Whoa. and then the next morning it goes, there's always the scene, oh Over my God, did I, did I say that? Yeah. And then there's a scene with the two of them who say, do you remember anything about last night? No, nothing. No, no. But of course, they then later on when they're drinking again, he goes, by the way, I remember everything. You told me you love me. And, they go, and then they are finally able to agree that they love each other. But alcohol and alcoholic evenings mm-hmm. in a way that would never be allowed in an American or British drama now because of the whole concern about alcohol. Yes. Uh, they're essential. I mean, I don't recall ever seeing a single K-drama that wasn't based around alcoholic confession. Or a Korean film. I was just thinking, sure. I've, you know, I haven't seen a huge amount of them, but there's always like a scene where there is heavy drinking happening mm. in their film. Women drink by shielding their mouth slightly and turning away as they knock it back. Um, a man would do that to a, if he was drinking with an older man. Mm. So this... There's a hierarchy and a type of... Abs- social hierarchy about yeah. how you speak to each other. You, you cannot okay. use the formal, uh, the informal, if you're with someone who's a senior. Yeah. Or you don't know them very well. And the yeah. crossing over into the informal requires, you know, denotes a kind of intimacy. Yeah, or it requires sort of permission from the... Yeah. Or maybe it takes place halfway through a soju, a soju <laughs> uh, episode, yes. you know, where suddenly you're being familiar. And then yeah. others you know, will say drunkenly, you're being very familiar with me. Yeah. You know. Well, that's something interesting that you mentioned, because I think the farther east you go, because uh, starting from Turkey, if you go farther east, it, it is more hierarchical. Like, I'm expected to sort of use the, the formal with people who are my sure. elders. Mm. You know, and in the West, it's, of course, different. Uh, I mean, I've always adhered to it in the limited way. That, I mean, if I'm with, I mean, if I'm in a cab or I'm talking to someone, I will call that person madam or sir. Sure. Uh, uh, I will defer. Yeah, know? yeah. Um, thank you, sir. You mm-hmm. know, that's my kind. Excuse me, sir. Could mm-hmm. you tell me the way to so-and-so, so-and-so? Mm-hmm. You know, um, I... I, I like that. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I do too. I do too. Um, going back to uh, K-drama in Korean films, do you, do you like their films at all or the new ones? Have you seen any of them? Or Good question, Ali. Um, it's a wider... The answer is a little wider. Uh-huh. I did an episode of The Sopranos way back. Yeah. Um, Season five? Yeah. I wish I'd done something on the wire, but I found it too late to actually send them the fan letter that yeah. got me into The Sopranos, right? But HBO has to take credit for changing cinema history mm. by cr- giving us smart long form. Yes. Where you could go to the, as Truffaut said, it's all about character. You know, plot is character, character is plot. Yeah. And creating these uh, kind of epic series I mean just amazing you know yeah. I, um, very quickly I felt that got corrupted you know, you oh, know yeah. that's, I, I would say the smart people in Hollywood who had been making boring smart movies started making quite boring smart episodic films for HBO and so on yeah. high quality good dialogue etc but not not that great no. however the long term effect of that was you could never watch a feature film again in quite the same way because I mean, what did I look at the other day? I watched something. Chinatown. Chinatown. Great film. Great film. Yeah. However, there's a really great book that's just come out mm. called um, 
I think it's called The Great Goodbye, and it's about the, yes. ma the making of Chinatown. Mm -hmm. So it brings in the, the Manson, Sharon Tate killings. Yeah, yeah. It brings in the rise and fall of Bob Evans. Yes. Uh, you know, Robert Town, the Robert writer. Town. And then obviously Polanski, yes. Faye Dunaway, everybody. All the main characters are, yeah. are, are very well written up. Mm -hmm. And I had some communication with the writer. You know. I said, I, I like the book so much, I went out and bought the Blu-ray of Chinatown and watched it again. Great. There is a connection there because John Alonzo, who was the cinematographer, also was the cinematographer on Internal Affairs. So I'd got, I'd got his anecdotes as yeah. well. And uh, so, yeah, he said, what is, so you bought the, the Blu-ray. What did you think of the film then? Mm. And I thought, it's a kind of loaded question. I went, well, it's, I, I did enjoy it, but I was very aware, having read the book, of how much Polanski had had to cut away from the first cut. Evans watched the first cut and it was he said it was boring and very long how long was it it's like two and a half hours or something you know maybe okay. he cut it down to this workable obviously very successful movie mm -hmm. but when you watch it now you were very much aware of the scenes that must be missing mm. not that you want them back in there but you realize that mainstream feature filmmaking heavily relied on the ability of the audience to s totally suspend disbelief and yes. just like, how did James Bond get there? Well, we don't really care. We just know he's there and it's exciting. Mm -hmm. Whereas in serial, you kind of owe it to your audience to explain, not in exactly in real time, but to take the time to show the progress of the plot. Yes. So now that we're so addicted to serial, mm -hmm. I think it's put a huge stress onto mainstream filmmaking and and what they're doing now, which I think is not the answer, is to make two hour, two and a half hour movies. I agree with you. It's too long for a feature. It's too long. I mean, unless it's like an epic, like The Godfather or something like that, you know. It's, Fine. Yeah, but it, or Bergman film like Fanny and Alexander or something. You exactly, know? exactly. But you know what you're in for when you yeah. come see those movies, yeah. right? Even that, I mean, I think Fanny is. I think that was a TV show, and then he, he cut he it did down. He did it as a TV show. Yeah. yeah. But uh, if I may sort of digress, uh, you mentioned sort of um, Chinatown and the edits, but then sometimes there's sort of happy accidents that happen in that. Like, for example, I think Annie Hall mm -hmm. was supposed to be, like, he just couldn't cut it, and it was like five hours long or something, and then he finally sort of turned it into the film yeah. that we know in Conversation, I think yeah. a film that you really like. Which I watched like the first half of, in fact, three days ago. Just oh, right. Because I love the opening, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's... At best, the great feature films are short stories. Mm -hmm. Yes. Know? It's much more successful to make a feature film out of a short story than to try and reduce a novel mm. into 95 minutes or whatever. I mean, the best example would be something like Notorious, you know, yeah. Hitchcock. Great film. And there are certain tricks you yeah. know, which you could, you could learn. And one of them is get as much information on the screen out of the way yeah. in the first five minutes. Yeah. So... In the opening of Notorious, we find out that her father was a Nazi, Nazi sympathizer. Yeah. He killed himself. Yes. That uh, she's an alcoholic. Yeah. You know, she's a bit of a crazy girl. We need to infiltrate. Uh, Cary Grant, off you go. Yeah. And so from then on in, all we have to do is focus on a very simple relationship because we know what the plot is, and this plot's super simple. Yeah. And actually, the film's 85 minutes long or something. It's very short. I mean, in film school, they, they always taught us that you know, the film, you should be able to understand the film if, even if you're watching it silently, mm -hmm. you know, so that's giving visual information. It's a film. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, 
I mean, I always sort of say, you know, you, you get the plot and everything from the visual information, and then the bonus is whatever they're saying, mm. it can be a parallel universe. Yeah. It can be an ironic universe. And, you know, so if you're smart, and the really smart filmmakers um, knew this, mm-hmm. you could in, encapsulate in 90, 95 minutes all of those things without having to have the pretension of telling, you know, war and peace, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my favorite films tend to be those very simple films that mm-hmm. actually, or hyper-experimental genre, Goddard films or whatever, but I, for mainstream stuff, I like it when it's like, it's really just about those characters and there's not too many of them. Such uh, as, could you, could you give an example for... Uh, something like The Hill, you know, Sidney Lumet. I haven't seen it, yeah. With Sean Connery, right? Yeah. It's incredible. I haven't seen it, yeah. It's like a play. It takes place in a prison in North Africa, and they're all confined, and it's about they're being punished by carrying sand up to the top of a hill and down again, you know, in the blazing sunshine. And Connery's a good guy who sees all the kind of corruption in in the system and, and fights it and then loses, you know. Okay. And it's all shot. Um, I think who shot it? Uh, great British cinematographer. It's all shot on a wide it's lens. Not Freddie Francis, no. Not Freddie Francis. The other one. Um, Slocum. No, the guy who the, there's a whole thing named after him at the National Film School. Uh, I should uh, maybe I blocked it because he was one of the people that interviewed me when I tried to get in the National Film School, and he and I did not get on. Right. But I have to concede he was a brilliant cinematographer. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so things like that where you just, you get in, you know what the drama is, mm. like like great Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. He always tells you in the first five minutes what it's about, mm-hmm. usually directly to the audience. And yeah. then you watch it unfold. Yeah. And it's just great. And the dialogue's good. And Well, you, you mentioned earlier the 36 dramatic situations. Mm-hmm. And like as the number denotes, there are only a certain amount of dramatic situations that can happen. And by at this point, a lot of people who watch films are already sort of clued into what could happen. But mm-hmm. if it's done well, if it's acted well, if it's sort of well filmed, it's still captivating. Yeah. I mean, I would draw parallels between music. So Western uh-huh. music developed with the idea that, <clears throat> you know, we would, we would push the boundaries of harmony. Yeah. And so you, then you end up in the 20th century with, you know, very modern music, mm-hmm. Stockhausen, yeah. and, you know... Um, Stravinsky, every Bartok, and then it becomes aharmonic, and then it becomes yeah. dissonant, and then it becomes like, you know, crazy. Mm-hmm. Eastern music never had that problem. You know, it basically said there are certain tones that work really well. Mm-hmm. We can scientifically um, connect them to the weather, mm. to the season, to the morning, to the afternoon. So an Indian piece of music would be a raga for mm. the morning in the autumn mm-hmm. these tones seem to work best for that yeah, period very interesting, right? actually, yeah. but these scales are pretty good okay. and these harmonies we're going to stick to film and and drama you know has the same possibility yeah we discover i discover doing the 36 dramatic situations that the audience are kind of pretty happy with these set tropes mm. you know which, which are embodied in k-drama mm-hmm. which are basically family mm-hmm. father child mother child rivalry between brothers yeah conflicts with power death loss 
grief, yeah. humility, right? Kind of the things that are central to all our lives. Mm. You know, everyone's fallen in love. Everybody will experience the death of a loved one. Inevitably, that's life, etc., yeah. etc. Et so <clears throat> there's nothing wrong with sticking to those themes because the truth is that every time you tell a story, it's a different story. Yeah. But the familiarity of the emotional situation is something that immediately grabs the audience, yeah. you know, um, and they're happy with that. Yeah. So it's our ego that forces us to kind of be sometimes too experimental or too... What you said is very interesting because, you know, I just thought some people, go, why do people go to see romantic comedies, you know, and, and they're good ones or they go to see mm-hmm. tearjerkers, which are good. They know what's going to happen, but they sort of want to see that and they know what they're going to see subconsciously. I mean, I'm watching one right now. It's um, a K-drama. It's a K-drama okay. and I've kind of run out. Unfortunately, my only source is Netflix. Yeah. And this one was made in 2011, I think. Okay. So right. that's 11 years ago, it's been right? A while. And you can see how much has changed. But I really like this one because it's old school K drama. Mm-hmm. It's 20 episodes. So you're getting on for like maybe 18 hours of drama, right? Yeah. And I'm on episode seven. Okay. Uh, and I really like the actress and the main actor. And mm-hmm. they finally are admitting that they love each other. Mm. But it's only episode seven. I just know that something bad's going to happen. Something bad's definitely going to happen. Because they're only on episode seven. So they've got to be riven apart. Yeah. And they've got to suffer now. And I did see something. I, I, I got a spoiler and I could see coma, the word coma. <laughs> it's another trope. Literally, characters in K-drama, yeah. if they fall over on this wooden floor and yeah. slightly bump their head... It's a coma. <laughs> and they'll wake up and they won't recognize anybody. Okay. And they don't know that they're the richest person in, in Korea. They're the Not yet. inheritor of the estate and all these people are kind of trying to screw them, right? <laughs> and there's something that deliciously, like, because I'm watching, I was going, they're mm. kissing now and they love each other. I was going, oh, no, it's so sad that they're going to get screwed up because it's only episode seven and you know you mentioned 20 episodes that's actually not that much for uh because you know if it were for example a u.s television show yeah if it was soap opera though ah you know i mean these are these hover this Mm -hmm. is k-soap it really Mm -hmm. is because they 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 tap into all of the uh soap opera kind of possibilities Mm -hmm. um at the same time it's not neighbors you know Interesting, but I, I guess uh, I asked you about sort of Korean cinema, like the films themselves. Are there yeah. any that you particularly liked in recent times? Or uh, I mean, I watched Burning. I love that film, actually. Mm. I, no? No. I didn't know what it was about. I see that it's a Murakami novel oh, yeah. adapted, oh, I mean, right? Yeah. So maybe that's yeah. got something to do with it. Yeah. But uh, no, I preferred my K-dramas. The, the young actor in it, the boy... Yeah. is magnificent in, is an, in a K-drama, oh, okay. which is my number two favorite K-drama. Which, I, which is called? It's called The Secret Affair. Sadly, no longer on Netflix. Okay. But there's an actress called Kim Hee-ae who is uh, in her 40s, and it's a love affair between her and this young boy. I remember you telling me about this yeah. show. Yeah. Again, a very regular trope yeah. in K-drama is romance between the older woman yeah. and the very young man. Yeah. Now being copied in Chinese, in China's dramas. Which is quite interesting because you said it's quite a conservative society, but they have sort of like, uh, 
you know, an older woman and a much younger man. The main audience yeah. for K-dramas is women yes. who work at home or, yeah. or are looking after the home. Yeah. And often they're written by women yeah. and they're kind of written for women. Sure. So the idea of a kind of juicy affair between a much older woman and a very yeah. young, very beautiful, good-looking boy. Yeah. Um, the problem is for most of them, the exception being The Secret Affair, which I think is a magnificent piece mm. of drama, mm-hmm. is most of them don't know how to deal with the awful situation of desire. Okay. The moment of truth would be, you know, like, okay, well, they're going to go to bed together. Do they fancy each other? And that's often portrayed as totally maternal. Ah. Like, you know, she treats him almost like a kind of sexy son, and he's like, and there's a lot of hugging and patting on the back. But that's it. There's no stroking. It's patting. It's almost like slapping. Okay. (laughs) And... And then cheeky little kisses, you know, like uh-huh. pecks. There's no, like, certainly no tongues. There's nothing, you know. Are they shown in bed together? In The Secret Affair, there is a bed scene, which okay. is actually quite quite sweet. Okay. Where they, they're clearly having sex, but okay. the camera just pans around the room. So his socks being dried and, you know, okay. the tap dripping and stuff. And it's quite sweet. But normally, no, they mm. don't do it. So it hints at it. Okay. Right. They they try and use the idea that it's fun uh-huh. and it's like it's cute. Yeah. But the b- real elephant in the room with all these dramas is desire. Mm. Whether that's part of our culture now is like you cannot show desire, as in carnal desire, like like you know, um, was it eight and a half weeks or nine and a half? I was nine forget. and a half. Fellini's eight and a half, right? Fellini's was eight and a half, yeah. And then, yeah. <laughs> there was, was that joke, you know, the Swedish film came out called Seventeen, and one of the reviewers says, twice as good as eight and a half. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that could make a comeback, sort of the showing desire on screen? Well, Goddard once said the two things you can't show are real death and real sex, and I agree with that because I think at a certain point it does throw the question up, why am I looking at this? You know, why am I being invited into this room to be part of this? And one of the great powers of cinema is the withholding of certain key information. In mm-hmm. other words, everything up to the moment, mm-hmm. and then they close the door. And you can't, you're being cut, you're locked out, so you have to imagine what was going on, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. And the lead-up to that can be very sexy and very erotic or very frightening and scary, but I think we need to spend more time on the psychology of a moment and less just the voyeuristic aspect. Because what is it? It's just two bodies, mm. you know, like doing stuff. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. n- it's not that pretty, number one. Mm. Unless you then try and, like, sort of, you know, aesthetically porn, pornerize it in terms of, like, you know, misty and the hand on the back. I mean, that's all bullshit. So I would say better not to go there. But I suppose... Now they don't even, or maybe that's what I feel, they don't even show the sort of the desiring in, in no. like regular films yeah, yeah. and stuff. That's my point, was that desire, uh, the psychology of attraction yeah. uh, between two people, whatever gender, seems to have been um, bypassed for now. Yeah. You know, uh, We will always want to explore. Yeah. And it, I, I can't see why it wouldn't continue to be a fascinating aspect of our kind of psychological programming. It is also cyclical, you know, like, because, you know, when I was young, there was a certain type of movie that was never being made, and then those movies started being made, sure. and so that could come back. Mm-hmm. You know, so. 
someone could say they don't make films like this. I mean, we've come back in a different form because we're yeah. no longer the same people we were. Also true. You know? Yeah. And we, we won't go back to being... And I think that's a good thing. Yeah. I don't think we were by any means perfect before. So uh, I look forward to a, you know, a kind of re- a re-examination of who we are and in the light of that, uh, a, a, an informed look at these kind of... these dynamics these between people. Mm. Good. Yeah. Well, I think uh, I think it's time for that music to start fading over what I say. And um, next time, I think, maybe let's talk about the 36 dramatic situations. That would be amazing. And, and, and play a few card tricks. Great. Um, so, uh, say goodbye from me, Mike Figgis, and my worthy, worthy um, fellow contributor, Ali Avila. Thanks very much, Mike.